They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable, No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. I'm not going to discuss wine this morning. Now, what I want to discuss with you is what Jesus was saying in terms of having something new. Now, he, he, he uh, used the uh, illustration that no one puts a new patch on an old garment. Uh, seeing some kids running around in, in the Levi's with, that are torn from one end to the other makes you wonder why they don't put patches on them. But the point is, he, he's saying that, that he, he was going to do something that was entirely new. Not something old, not something that he was going to rework, not something he was going to remodel, not something he was going to retool, not something he was going to remake. The only re we read about in the New Testament that he wants us to do is repent. It has nothing to do with something that's new, only that we prepare for that which is new. Now, the prophets in the Old Testament, I'm going to read a couple of uh, texts from the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah that are rather long. If you'd like to follow along, I would invite you to do that. I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 42, beginning at verse 1. If you'd like to turn there with me, and I'm going to read that text. And we're keying on this idea of new, something new. Now, beginning at verse 1, I'm going to read through verse 9. Behold my servant. You'll recognize he's talking about Jesus. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. Talking about Jesus. We know that. We know that from the text in Matthew chapter 12 when it's, it's cited in relationship to our Lord. Now at verse 5 he says, Thus saith the Lord, thus saith God the Lord, He that created the heavens and stretched them out, He that spread forth the earth and that which comes out of it, He that gives bread, breath unto the people and spirit to them that walk therein, I the Lord have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand and will keep you and give you a covenant of the people for a light to the Gentiles. Again, he's talking about Jesus. To open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. New things. 
We have to think in terms of newness when we think of what Jesus is going to do. And sometimes that's, t- that's tough to do. New things. He's going to talk about new things. In the, in the early days when Jesus was talking to his audiences, they recognized that the way he was talking and what he was saying was entirely different from anything they'd heard before. It was basically to them... It was new. Mark chapter 1 verse 27 says, after he set forth some of the parables, he said, they were amazed, stunned, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? What new doctrine? For with authority commands he even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Now what they were observing, of course, was what they should have been anticipating and what they should have been anticipating was that someone was going to come and bring new things to them from Isaiah chapter 42. Things are going to be different. Not just different. Totally, absolutely different. Not just remade. Not just reshuffled. New. New. Now we know what new is. I know what new is. I know what a new house looks like. I know what I know know what a new suit looks like. I know what a new car looks like. And I know what old ones look like. So do you. Now what Jesus was proposing was something that they were unaware of, something absolutely new. Now, God who at sundry times and divers manner spoke unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. So something new was going to happen. He was going to develop, and I I, I just want you to follow with me now as we move along. I'll get to the conclusion eventually. But I want you to follow along and and note it with me because you are Bible believers and you have your Bible. Follow along with me of all the things that Jesus talks about that are new. And keep in mind, he's not talking about something they have already seen that they have already experienced, that they're already aware of. He's talking about something that springs upon them like something they have never seen or known in their whole entire life. Just like you. You've probably seen some new thing that you've never seen before in your whole life, and you recognize it for what it is. It's new to you, for sure. Maybe not to everybody else, but new to you. In Isaiah chapter 35, he talks about a new way. And again, I'm I'm going to emphasize this. It's a new way. It's not the way they were always doing things. But it's it's a way that's going to be different. In Isaiah 35, verse 8, it says, A highway shall be there, and a way. And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean won't pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools, they won't err therein. No line shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereupon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. But it's going to be a new way. It's not going to be an old way. It's a new way. It'll be called the way of holiness. Now, Hebrews chapter 10 at verse 19 and 20 says this, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new 
and living way. They had never gone in that way. Never. They'd never gone in to see God this way. Never been. Never happened. They'd never walked this way. It was a path they'd never seen. But now he says, it is a new way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, through his flesh. Okay. There was going to be a new way. And there was going to be a new covenant. Now here's one of those long texts I want you to look at with me back in Jeremiah chapter 31. Because in this text, the prophet describes, that is God is through the prophet describing the new covenant. Now when he talks about covenant, he's talking about a, an agreement. We know what a covenant is. It's a contract. A new contract. He's going to make a new covenant. Now verse, 30, verse 31, he says, Behold the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke, although I was a husband unto them, says the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of, of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. I'll forgive their iniquity, and I'll remember their sin no more. Okay, now, this is quoted for us in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8 through 12. He's saying, I'm going to make a new covenant, a new contract. Now, think about this just a minute. If you have bought something, let's say you bought something that, that was pretty expensive. House, car, a, a big screen TV, an 80 inch, whatever it may be, it got beyond your budget for that month or so, and so you had to finance it. So you enter into a contract. Okay? Now it gets, it gets the point that this contract is starting to, to choke you. And uh, Financially, so you, you can't make the payments. You need smaller payments. So you get a new contract for whatever you bought. A new contract. You're going to write up a new one. Now, when you write up the new contract, you're going to write it up with different terms, right? Different payment schedule. Maybe you'll get a couple of months of grace. You don't, you don't have to make a couple of payments. Whatever it may be but you're still going to use money to pay for it. Right? So when we talk about the New Covenant, we're talking about the difference between the Old Testament covenant that God made on the Mount Sinai with the children of Israel, the Ten Commandments. The New Covenant. Now what he's not saying is, he's not saying I'm, gonna, I'm going to make a New Covenant that doesn't have anything to do with sin. You see? It's just the terms of how we're going to handle this. How we're going to handle this now is going to be when I when your contract is due, I will pay it for you with my son Jesus. He'll make your payments. Oh, but there's still payments to be made, you see. When you make a new contract and they say, okay, we're going to, we're going to extend your contract, you're still going to have to make payments on your contract, right? So now then, under Jesus, instead of you having to pay the contract yourself, Jesus is going to pay it for you. It's by grace are you saved through faith. That's how the new contract is going to be written up. Don't misunderstand. He's not saying that I'm going to eliminate sin and sin no longer exists. 
just like in your new contract or your car or house or whatever, money's not going to anymore exist. He's not going to say that. Sin's going to still exist, but when you make your payments, I'll make the payments for you according to your faith. All right? Now, in, uh, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 26, at verse uh, 26 through 29, it says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink you all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament. Now that's the same word as covenant. Okay? The blood of my new covenant. That's the same thing. My new agreement. I've got a new agreement with you now. I didn't eliminate, we don't eliminate sin, the debt. What we eliminate is the payment for it. You don't have to pay anymore. I'm going to pay it for you. Wow. It's still going to be paid. Somebody's going to pay it. And it's going to be paid by the blood of Jesus Christ. He said, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now Paul repeated this same statement in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 through 26. And then later on he said, in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, he says, Who made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Well, the letter would kill because if you had to make your own payments, you wouldn't make them. You wouldn't be able to make them, right? You couldn't make those payments. They're going to choke you to death. Too much. You couldn't pay for your sins. It doesn't make any difference how many good works you did. When the scales are balanced, you're down here, and your sins are up here, and you're trying to make your payment, and you can't get it. But when Jesus died on the cross, He got it. And now you're up here, and your sins are down there. You see? Because He stepped up and made the payment for us. Okay. And He gives us a new heart and a new spirit. I have to keep telling you, think new. Not the same heart, not the same spirit. When you step into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, you get a new heart and a new spirit. Not the old one. Not, don't remake it. Don't remodel it. Don't retool it. Don't refurbish it. Don't put Bondo on it and try to smooth it out and repaint it. Don't do that. Get the new one. You're going to get a new heart and a new spirit. Now that's amazing, isn't it? In Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19, he says, I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and will give them a heart of flesh. And chapter 18, at verse 31, he says, Cast you away from all you all your transgressions, wherever you have transgressed. Make you a new heart and a new spirit, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Get the new one. Get the new one. Get the brand spanking new one with the new smell. Right? It's new. It's new. It's not the old one. You don't say, well, I, I can make a few changes. I'll put a patch here and a little bundle there and a little fix it over here and I'll get my heart kind of way out, my spirit kind of way it should be, all tattered and torn and patched up and put it in a new skin. No. He said, get you a new one. Get a new one. I'm telling you, friends, when you come to Jesus, you're going to have to start things all over again. That's what he said. 
Didn't he? He told Nicodemus that. He said, you're going to have to be born again, boy. Nicodemus said, I can't, that can't work. That can't work. Let me tell you what. In Jesus, it works. That's what it's supposed to do, and it does. It works. A new heart and a new spirit. And he said, that makes you a new man, a new person. The word man means mankind, humanity. Colossians 3 at verse 10 says, You have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, listen carefully. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The word creature there is actually from the word creation. He's a new creation. Don't bring your old stuff with you. Don't drag your old baggage with you. You don't do that. You don't say, well, I, I got along pretty good this way. I'm going to bring this part of me along. I've got, I've, I, I, you know, you know my, my nature. I, I, I kind of lose my temper fast. New man doesn't do that. Get rid of that old one. You see what he's saying? He tells us to put off the old man with his deeds and put on a new man which is created in righteousness after Jesus Christ. Okay. And he says here, you're a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. New. Well, you may have thought you had some pretty good things going before. Drop them. Come into Jesus and begin all over again. Start all over again. That's where you begin. And when you do that, He's going to give you another name, even a new name. Isaiah 62, 2 says, The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory, and you will be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Let's see, what shall I call myself? Well, don't worry about it. God's going to give you a new name. You don't have to patch your old name up. What you do is you get the new one. Acts 11, 26 says, When he had found him, talking about Paul, he brought him to Antioch, and he talked about, I'm sorry, Barnabas. Barnabas found Paul. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples are called Christians first at Antioch. What are they called? Christians. Peter said, If any man suffer as an evildoer, as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, as a busybody in other, other men's matters, they shouldn't suffer that. But if he suffer as a Christian, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God on this behalf or in this name. That's the new name. You get a new name. That's how you're going to be identified. Someone says, well, what are you? Who are you? I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. A new name. Look at the new things we're getting. Getting a new song, too. A new song to sing. Psalms chapter 96, verse 1 through 4 says, Sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord, all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless His name. Show forth His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the heathen, His wonders among all people. For the Lord is great, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Now that new song is talked about in the book of Revelation. That's interesting. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, it says, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps, and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. 
And they sang a new song. They sang a new song. Well, it's not a hillbilly song. It's not a drunken song. As a matter of fact, Paul told the, the church at Ephesus, he, he said, be filled with the Spirit, singing to yourselves, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Be not drunken with wine wherein there is excess. Don't, don't sing those drunk songs. He said, but sing those songs that bring glory to God that edify and encourage one another. So in, in this text, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of elders. But then they sang the new song. And they sang, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for you were slain and have redeemed unto us by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, and people and nation, and have made unto us our, unto us our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. They're singing a song of victory in Jesus. It's a new song. It's not the songs that the world sings and prays to God. It's the song that his people sing because they are new people with the new song on their tongues. And this puts us actually in a new heaven and new earth. Now, when he talks about the new heaven and new earth, he's not talking about the after a while. He's talking about the new place that you come into when you obey Jesus Christ. When you decide that Jesus is the Lord, the Son of the living God, when you have developed that faith, and you develop that faith through reading the gospel, you can't get it any other way. It's not sold in the local market, drugstores, and you can't get it on a CD somewhere. Where you get it is from the Word of God. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the, glory of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. And our faith comes, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So we get our faith, we garner our faith because we believe in Jesus Christ, because we've heard His everlasting Word and we believe everlasting Word of it. We believe it all. And we believe that Jesus is the Christ. So at that point, then we decide we're, we're going to change. Now that's the re that we have, the repent. Then we repent. But then we come into the world of Jesus because we're baptized into Christ. We become a new man. That's what Romans 6, 3, and 4 says. That, we, that we're buried with Him in baptism. We're risen also with Him through faith in Him from baptism to walk in newness of life. So when we're baptized, then we come out of that water and we're in the new world. We're in the new heaven and earth. We're in the world of Jesus. You say, well, I, I still kind of walking around this old body. Yes, you are. I'm still walking around up and down the streets and sidewalks of Tacoma or or Seattle, or wherever I may be, Timbuktu, I'm still there. Yes, but you're in the new heaven and new earth with Jesus because you're walking by faith and not by sight. Now then, you're in His world. And in His world, you're a new person. And being a new person, all things to you, behold, all things are new. Everything is new. Now, Revelation 21 and verse 1 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And Revelation 21 2 says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, 
coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Now John wrote that those who overcame, who stepped into this new world, this new heaven and new, new earth, overcome their earthly tribulations and receive all the new things that God has prepared for them in his new world. And at verse 5, he says, He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. I make all things new. Now we're not talking about your body because you know your body's going to get old. We're not talking about your house because your house is going to decay too. We're not, we're not talking about your automobile because it's going to get a flat and it's going to run out of gas, and all, etc. He's talking about your spirit. Who you? He's talking about you. He's talking about you. You. Not where you live. Not what you own. He's talking about you. You are in a new heaven and new earth. You are in a good relationship with God. Now we all know what it means to live on this earth with all our aspirations and our thoughts, our hopes and our dreams anchored down to this earth. We know what that is, don't we? By the time probably you're 10 years old, you're going to be, you, you probably start to realize that things are getting old. By that time at least. You realize that you don't, don't need your binking anymore, your pacifier. That you don't use it, you don't take it to school with you. You also probably realize that some of your toys are broken. And the little blankie you carried around for security is ragged and tattered. It may just be a little little patch that you're carrying around just to assure yourself that everything's okay. And now you're looking at your parents and thinking of them as being old. And your grandparents as older still. And your tricycle, you're learning such things as Words like rust and broken and worn out because you know that things on this earth, you're starting to get it in your mind, are getting old. And as you get into your teens, you realize that you want to get older, of course. But after you, hit, after you get past your teens, pretty soon you begin to realize, I, maybe I don't want to get older. And you get up into your 30s and you think, and women especially, that's not right. That's not right. We all don't want to age, but I think generally the female gender doesn't want to go past 39. I don't know. Anyway, we begin to think things are deteriorating. Our bodies are going the other way. We're not going this way. We're going this way. We're realizing we're realizing that things are wearing out. Even things that don't look like they're wearing out are wearing out. It's all deteriorating. Things are getting old, right? Even things that are built of very, very uh, stable materials, like castles out of stone, the weather is aging them some. Steel is being weathered also. The elements are getting to things. And if we want to find things that are old or antique, and that's a word that's come into mind quite a bit, and we're thinking of, oh, this is, this is the old way to do things, the old way to do things, and how it was in the olden days. We're starting to think in terms like that, 
and we're starting to realize if anything sustains itself, it has to be maintained. The paint on your house has to be maintained. It won't stay new. But darn, it won't stay new. Your roof won't stay new. Things are not going to stay new. It's going to deteriorate. If you want to find something that stays new, you look in a museum. Because they capture the old things, antiques, put them in museums, and put them under controlled climates because even the climate will erode things. Did you know that? Paper doesn't last. We know that. Anything that has a, 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 sort of a bi biochemical nature to it will not last. It'll deteriorate. Even things that are made of metal and, and hard surfaces, minerals, they still erode. And where the sun wears things down, the atmosphere wears things down. So we know things are getting old. We're getting old. In this world, in this world, we're getting old. And before long, our eyesight's going to fail, our hearing is going to fail, our strength is going to fail, and we're going to go down, down, down. Some of us lose height. We all do. Gravity pulled us down. And things are not becoming new and staying new. It doesn't do that. In this world, things don't stay new. Things don't stay up. Things go down. In the new heaven and new earth, Things stay new. Did you know that? It all stays new. Think about it. Your dreams on this earth will fade and tarnish, pass away, and maybe never be fulfilled. But in Jesus Christ, the dreams that He's given us just grow brighter and brighter and brighter and clearer and sharper the older we get in Jesus, the newer we become in Him. In Jesus, when the sun comes up, it stays up. It doesn't go down. The shadows do not chase our sun in Jesus. The darkness does not overcome the light of Jesus. It does in our world. It does in this, this world that we're in. But in Jesus, in the new world, the sun stays up and stays bright. And the hope that we have in Jesus Christ doesn't diminish. It doesn't fade. It's never tarnished. It doesn't rust. It doesn't erode. It doesn't diminish. The hope we have in Jesus just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And our eyesight... The more you look at Jesus, the clearer He becomes. Crystal clear. Your eye will not fade in this new world as you look at our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you're going to hear His Word louder and clearer and more distinct as time goes on. In the new world, when you step into the new world of Jesus Christ, everything becomes new and nothing gets old. Isn't that where you want to be? That's where I want to be. I want to be with Him who makes all things new. Behold, all things are new. God help you. Make that good decision. Step into that world and enjoy it. Enjoy that world that He's given you. 
where everything is new, nothing is old. Don't put patches on anything in Jesus. No patches. No old skins. No old patches, no old skins in Jesus. Everything's new. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation.